0: On the road again Just can't wait to get on the road again The Life I love is making music with my friends And I can't wait to get on the road again On the road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again Well, hello. Welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast and in this episode we'll be looking at uh the second part of roughing it um i'm not sure which chapter there's so many in this book uh, probably like chapter 25 or so to about 45 maybe like i said there's about 80 chapters in this book so um it's not really any point to going through it chapter by chapter um i'm kind of breaking this up into into kind of stories uh basically it's going to be like the trip that's why in the last episode was the trip to Nevada then this will be like the silver speculation stuff Um, then there'll be the journalism stuff and then the last one will be the Hawaii trip so that's kind of like it roughly breaks up into those four parts and then it roughly is one quarter each of the story that we're given here now in the last episode I lavished my praise on roughing it as one of my favorite uh, Mark Twain stories Um, well and certain, certainly, my favorite of his travel logs. Yeah, it's been a while since I read uh, the Around the Equator one, which I had fond memories of too. But you know, the two others that I've read so far in this kind of reread through that I'm doing now, this has been my my favorite. And um, so we kind of finished up with the with the discussion of the Mormons, Slade. Those kinds of experiences, those are things that he learned about and, and explored a little bit more as he was traveling west. So there was that like the journey to the west part of the story. And now he gets to Nevada and his brother is, of course, serving in the Nevada government. So part of the story early on is the kind of the nature of this territorial government and its relationship with the state, which, of course, is complicated by the fact that the Civil War is going on. Right? So this is all happening during the Civil War, which there's hints at, there's suggestions of the Civil War. The context is not entirely gone, but it's very, very muted, right? Um, and of course he's from, he's not from a Confederate state, right? He's from Missouri. But he served in that kind of pro-Confederate militia in Missouri for a while. Gave that up after two days or whatever, then went with his brother to, to Nevada. But the the government here is very, very slight. So um, I know one of the big questions in, in like the Wild West mythology and the study of the West is to what degree is this lawlessness overblown or just as a product of mythology and fantasy. And Mark Twain prefers the fantasy of the Wild West. Certainly, he, it's a makes for better storytelling, I suppose. Um, but there is a... Uh, A state being formed here there there is a government being formed it has a relationship with congress and it gets funding And there's the question of like how much funding do we ask for how much do we use? You know who's skimming off the top. There's like suggestions of corruption So there's uh stuff to read here to if you want to think about the The nature of the state In the west, uh, but we do get the impression that it's very very It doesn't have that many much power. It doesn't have that much money and it's often working on a very very tight shoestring budget and it's always a game between like what you report your budget is and what you really what it really you can spend on where are, are you actually getting money in a regular fashion how do you report it all these things and there's a million ways to skim off the top but there's not much that much to skim so the the, the centerpiece then of speculation is not government corruption like it would be in like the 21st century where you know that's where like corruption is not secret it's just out there in the open but it's 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 washington is the zone right not the not this kind of frontier there's not that much money here to fight over i suppose where the speculation is is in the silver mines and we get a lot of that here and that's a lot of Good storytelling here. He gets a lot of uh, uh, he gets a lot of text out of exploring just the nature of that economy, how shares in mines became currency in the West. That's really fun and and interesting, and it does paint this picture of this kind of democratic capitalism. Now, I always have an asterisk whenever I say that because I mean maybe a couple asterisks. It's worth because one is capitalism never really can be democratic. It's always about power and resource like, ex- exploitation and things like that, but america is 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 weird. Um, america had the Native Americans were wiped out, so America had this like land was available for people. so the first asterisk here is yeah, yeah, capitalism is ultimate undemocratic force, but there are contexts in which it's, it's kind of a grab, it's a grab bag and, and it's a big one. It's like a pinata and everyone can kind of grab some. Yeah. Some people are going to grab more than they want, but everyone can kind of grab at and get a little piece and, and feel they got something out of it. The other asterisk of course, is this doesn't apply to black people and women. This is, uh, it's really white adult men who, who can grab at that, whatever is busted from the pinata. It's not anyone who can do it. So th- those are, when I say democratic capitalism, it's really, it's a framed in those limitations. But of course, Mark Twain is, a, is an adult white man who is going to be able to partake in these games. And so it feels, that's what gives it kind of that excitement and that feeling of like, anyone can make it. Fortune's won and lost. Now, maybe there's some myth-making with that. Uh, I think he certainly exaggerated some aspects of it because it does make such a good story, an exciting story. and He's able to like lambast himself and make fun of himself through that um, kind of storytelling. So now before he gets into silver mining, silver speculation, we should always say the mining aspect of it, there's not much of it. Really, the game is speculation. The, the game is get, find a lead, you know, and claim it. Work it long enough that you can claim it legally and then sell it off for for money, get other people to eventually work it. So it's almost like a futures market in a way in which everyone's trying to grab their piece, but no one wants to necessarily be left with the job of actually doing it because actually making money from silver, not that easy. It's, you know, first you have to mine the silver. That's hard work. You have to hire people to do that. You need money to do that. Then you need to process the silver, and in some cases you have to ship it off to other countries to have it processed. And the profit's pretty low. Where the profits being made is in the speculation side of it, the the futures market of this land, the imagining that someone could become a millionaire off of this. That's what's driving the whole thing. But anyway, before he gets into that, he 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 does this thing on Lake Tahoe where he. Um, Goes with a friend and basically starts squatting and, um, you know, claiming land in Lake Tahoe. And he seems to really like it. It's a really enjoyable time for him. But he gives that up. There's really not many money to be made off of that. It's not really a sustainable place to live. Um, It's kind of like the frontier of the frontier, right? It's uh, an undeveloped place in this already undeveloped part of of America. Really a territory, right? Uh, A piece of conquered land, not yet fully settled by the conquerors. After that, then he goes and is like, what am I going to do? Like, there's not really work for him in the government. I think originally his plan was to maybe just be a tag along with his brother and, and do that. But he, he ends up getting involved in the silver speculation thing. But right away, we get a story that it, we're reminded that everyone's sort of scamming each other here. And that's another kind of part of the side of the coin or side of the prism of this democratic capitalism is if there is that kind of rough equality, like Tocqueville talked about, the rough equality of conditions for white men. If you have that rough equality, then it's... You, you have to kind of be on your toes a little bit because there's always that problem of someone being scammed, right? You, you're not scammed by your boss, really. When the boss has all the money and says, do you want to work for me for shit wages and bad conditions and, 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 and no breaks? And you're like, yeah, I want to do it. You're not being scammed. It's like it's it's in the contract that this job sucks, right? Um, or if a, if someone poor robs a rich person, that's not that's all worked into the deal too, right? They have security alarms and jails and police to to guard them. But if there is this this rougher equality of conditions and everyone's kind of in the same place, then if you're a loser. It's because it's you sort of got scammed or you got tricked or you made a mistake, right? This is, this is why some historians focus on like anxiety among white men and anxiety about their position. And this is why you have so much hostility towards others in American history. It's because of that, that anxiety. If you fall, it's because you did something wrong. So you want to have a floor, a floor in which you can't fall below, right? Remember that with Huck Finn, right? Pap, as low as he fell... He could always sit there in his drunken stupor and remind the world and remind himself that there's people below him. And, and there are people there below him as a genetic reality, as a genetic fact. That, and and that's, the, that's the barrier to falling any farther. So prejudice, sexism, anti-immigrant sentiment, all that is kind of rooted in this anxiety. Now here it's 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 kind of played for laughs, but the story is he he wants to buy a horse. Mark uh, Mark Twain Samuel Clemens wants to buy a horse, and he thinks, oh, silver prospectors have horses and people have horses around here, and he'd better get a horse. And he goes to the auction and he overpays for a horse that's basically untrainable. And always bucking him and it's unmanageable and then he turns around it's like when i stuck with this overpriced horse he tries to sell it and he he really can't he can't even give it away right because everyone is smarter than him so it's played as a joke here and that basically everyone around him is smarter and that doesn't fall for the stupid obvious con of of buying the 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 notorious horse that everyone else has been trying to get rid of and only one person was stupid enough to buy it the newcomer right samuel clemens Now, now as i said it's played for laughs here but i think there's a serious truth to that and and it underpins the whole economy that comes out of silver speculation so not long after the horse incident twain goes off uh silver frontier prospecting and this is several chapters like six or seven chapters that that go into this and as i said the nature of silver mining was the profit was in the claim It, it was in in There doesn't seem to really be that much money to make uh, for a small-scale prospector in the in the actual mining itself which seems to be pretty sh- uh low like high overhead low profit ultimately especially the processing it seems like yeah you can unless there's a huge load like And it doesn't, you know, it's still, unless it's like that percentage of the rock that's actually silver is really high, the the cost of processing it is just going to eat away any profits you can get. So the trick is to live off the claims, right? So what you have is you have people who find any evidence of silver anywhere buying the land or, or claiming the land. You don't buy it, you claim it and then you have to work it. And so there's rules about how you have to work it. And if you don't work it for a certain amount of time, if you don't establish it, you don't build buildings on it, you know, start working the mine in, in very concrete legal ways, you're gonna lose it to the next person who comes around and, and, and is willing to do that work. But the goal is really not to work it, you get the sense. It's just to use this as cash. So what happens is it quickly becomes shares. So these, you know, it might start out with two or three people working together on a claim and then each of them like gives it a value it gets some value on the market and then you can split up the shares in various ways and use those as currency so by uh you know pretty quickly as explained here the real currency of the silver mining frontier because everything costs a whole lot here we're, we're told that you know, the money is so scarce, things are expensive. And that's another issue with the government. The government doesn't fully believe what uh, they're billing for, for common expenses and things. Um, but so instead, the ready currency becomes shares in the silver mines, which, which as I said, just get sort of passed around and you tip people because in a way, you know, they don't have any real value. The only value is the hope that if you dig down far enough and work it long enough, there'll be a big paycheck at the end for someone right you just want to be holding it when that sale is made because if if you have enough of those little pieces of paper that say that have that have this pretend value you just need one of them it's like buying you know 100 lottery tickets and hoping like just one or two of them will will get it but you never scratch them you just pass them around um waiting to hear which one is actually going to be worth millions So, uh, a lot of good stories here with the, with the silver mining, there's a wonderful near-death experience chapters 32 and 33, where they kind of get lost out in the woods and they have to kind of camp out at night and they all talk about how they're going to die and reform their ways and prepare their souls for heaven. And it turns out they're just actually not that far from the town. They just didn't realize it because it was dark and they... I mean, they go back to all their old sinful ways. That's a really wonderful story. Um, now, the cornerstone story in this part of Roughing It is Mark Twain's brief moment, his brief experience as a millionaire. And the way it c- comes off here, or the way it happens is they end up having claimed what's called a blind lead. Um, now the leads are, of course, are the, the, the silver deposits. A blind lead is where that is like hidden under the ground. It, it can't really be seen um, like the, the it, and, and so that's the most valuable because it can't be instantly claimed by people who are just like skimming off the top or doing whatever they do in their normal prospecting. That this is like, it's hidden, but it's huge, right? So it's like, oh, so him and his partner, they find this blind lead. And they have to, they claim it. And so he's walking around like a millionaire. He, he, he just, he starts imagining like someone who imagines they're going to win the lottery does like, why well, am I going to spend my money? Who am I going to buy houses for? Where am I going to live? How, you know, I'll spend half the year in Paris, the other half here, whatever. Um, he's already dreaming about that. And uh, the friend's doing the same sort of thing. And th- what basically happens is they both were supposed to work the lead and none of them did. They were both too lazy they both got distracted by various things um mark twain was caring for some sick per sick friend uh, i forget what his other the other friend was doing but anyways they could they didn't communicate very well that someone should be working the lead and they missed their window and after so many days of not working it it just basically is first come first serve and someone else takes it so he he lost his millions but the the question is like was it ever really worth millions that's my thing it's only a fantasy like this whole thing, until you actually get to the work of actually producing wealth through labor, through the investment of labor and machinery and capital, it's it's just a game of, of numbers on a piece of paper that people have faith in. It's a fiat currency is essentially what we had here in, um, in there. So... Did he lose money? Well, he never really had it. It was always just fantastic on the thing. If he actually got down to actually working this, this mine, extracting the silver, even if he got around to selling it, you know, how much could he actually have sold it for to people willing to, to put that work and the capital in. Now, all this helps us explain why it is that the West, and this is not just in silver mining, it's in gold mining. It's in ranching. It's in even farming. Where you have all these people coming out and trying to get their piece, grab their little piece of this great west, this massive continent right it goes on for miles all this endless land for people and it's it land is free, it's available people can grab what they want, and there's always that hope of of future wealth, whether it's the idea of California or the deal of or idea of Oregon or whether it's like and so the farmers want to go there or it's the cowpuncher who you know is kind of making it as an independent cowboy or whatever, hoping to make it rich someday, or the miner, whatever it is, whatever job it is, that's all going to be taken over by big capital, by By the 1880s and 1890s. They went out because they have the the means to actually work this. It's the railroads have the means to actually transport things across this massive massive continent. It's, you can't, you're not going to maintain this with stages or, or horse on horseback. It's going to be the huge landowners. that are going to be able to like have the big ranches that are going to be able to like send the meat to Chicago. Read William Cronin's Major Nature's Metropolis if you want like a window into this, this transition. But of course, many Western historians have talked about this. It's the Bonanza farms. It's the railroads. It's the Hertz Hertz family with mining, right? It's going to be the big corporations that quickly take this over because it's really not, there's not an opportunity there really to make money for the vast majority of these people and they become the working class, right? Now Clemens, he has an escape route. He goes into journalism. He has a way out. But in another universe where he got caught up more into the silver prospecting, imagine him just a few years later as a silver miner. And not much more than that. Um, You know, working for a big mining concern, right? Now, all of this also helps to explain, I think, why the Western labor history is so conflicted and so contentious compared to that of the East. Now, the East has its own epic stories of labor conflict, but the West was really bloody and apocalyptic at times, right? It's where the IWW got its start. And I think a reason for that is, partially the betrayed dream of this, this kind of democratic capitalism. As it quickly within, within years. I mean, that's one thing I like about that show Deadwood is that shows this transition, it's compressed, I suppose, in that show. But, you know, within four years, you go from democratic capitalism of the speculators to the Hertz people bringing in foreign labor to work the mines. It's really a story of capital growth in, in the West that's why that's that story is still really valuable to to watch because it's a it tells the story of america um, in this way but that rapid change and just the size the massiveness of the capital that had to work the west just because of its size the and the thinness of its profitability right like yeah silver could be profitable but you had to mine a whole shitload of it to get that profit right? Same thing with gold, same thing with uh, grain, uh, same thing with meat, right? Unless you're producing vast quantities of it, the the economy is the skills just aren't in place, right? To pay off the railroads. Go back to one of the first novels in this podcast series, the Frank Norris story, The Octopus, which is all about the failure of the individual farmer to compete with titanic epic forces. So, is this all on Mark Twain's mind? I don't think so, but it's right around the corner of when this story was was written or this, this book was written. So um, I guess that's it for now. I will uh, come back next time and talk about the third part of uh, Roughing It, which would be like chapters 45 to 60 or something, which will deal more with his turn to journalism when he gives up silver prospecting and takes on a new career path. So uh, this was fun. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next time. just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends, and I can't wait to get on the road again.